best. I mean, <laughs> there you are. Solved the world's problems. Um, <laughs> should we make a start? Are we good to go? Yeah, sure. happy, good to go. Um, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking Stock After the Bell, uh, episode 26, I believe. Uh, joined, as always, by James Hughes, fresh from uh, back from the ski slopes. Yeah. Uh, and also, it's nice to be joined by two of Court Achievement's um, finest research analysts. Well, they're all fine, obviously, but uh, these two, <laughs> some are finer than others. Um, <laughs> Sheena Berry and Ben Barringer. Good afternoon to you both. Uh, we've got a few intros. Ben's been on before, so I've, I've cut his intro down a bit. But um, in terms of Sheena's, um, Sheena graduated with a degree in mathematics from the University of Edinburgh and has a master's degree in financial economics from Boston <laughs> University. Uh, she became a healthcare research analyst at a UK-focused investment bank before joining QC in 2018. Um, her role centres around in-depth analysis and understanding of investment opportunities within the healthcare sector, including pharmaceutical, biotechnology, medical technology, healthcare services, animal health and life science tools companies. Sheena is a CFA charter holder. Um, outside of work, Sheena has a strong interest, in strong interest in activities such as cycling and running and is signed up to trek through the jungle in Panama later this year, I believe. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> Good. As you do. <laughs> um, well, welcome anyway, Sheena. <clears throat> um, as for Ben, Ben graduated in econometrics in Nottingham University in 96, joined the Lloyd's TSB private banking graduate scheme, before joining the Quantachivia Equity Research Team in 1999, with 2024 marking his 25th anniversary at the company. Amazing. Very much so. CFA charter holder. Uh, ben is proficient mountain biker, diver, skier, snowboarder, qualified kite surfing instructor, and a member of the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Uh, we've that's got, the most we've got all the hobbies here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you that's go. Day. Johnny Raymond, he's a um, golfer. That's it. Golfer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and definitely, definitely won't find me trekking through the jungle, that's for sure. Um, so what I thought we'd do today is uh, it's been earnings season, which is this kind of mm. period in your lives every now and then, or every quarter, I suppose, obviously, mm-hmm. um, where companies will report. So you get up super early and mm-hmm. read loads of transcripts and listen to conference calls and mm. then try and tell us investment managers what it means mm. and then write a note and then update your models and update your views on the co- companies mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Um, and that can be quite stressful quite time consuming a few hours put in um, but always interesting I guess and to find out what's going on and then dig in a little bit deeper so I thought we'd take um, a few stocks today and run through them um, taking it in turns to each um, 10 minutes each maybe quick fire uh, Husey can like fire him with a few questions. I've, I've always got a few questions, um, <laughs> and and we'll go from there. But just from sort of you know why are earnings important? I think and um, listeners and viewers will remember the episode we had with Freddie late back before Christmas. Mm. Uh, episode number escapes me in terms of him explaining that earnings, profits, fundamentally is oh. everything, and share prices follow suit as the chart here shows shows uh, how earnings per share has progressed since 1954 um, and price changes broadly follow that. So, you know, generally speaking, if you're buying stocks and buying companies that are growing profits, then the share prices should follow suit. Hence the, you know, fundamental analysis should really focus on how companies are doing and what those profits are doing over time. Um, so kind of, yeah, I guess investing 101, right? Yeah. Um, Graham, if we, Graham and Dodd. Graham and Dodd, exactly. So if we bring that sort of close to home a little bit, we've got a chart here of how um, the world MSCI world has done, which is in the top pane of the chart uh, in yellow. Um, and then the darker blue line in the top pane is how the earnings 
uh, earnings per share of MSCI World has done. Then the bottom part of the pane is the year-on-year change in earnings. So um, the last few years, we look at the right-hand side of the chart. Obviously, we can see the pandemic there in 2020, which caused a contraction in earnings. Funny enough, we're all sat at home not spending a great deal of money. And then we had a good recovery in earnings. Uh, and then we sort of had a sort of slowdown through 2023 and into sort of early part of 2024. Mm-hmm. And we're just sort of coming out of that earnings cycle now a bit. I mean, Sheen, if we start with you, what's your sort of overriding feeling of your sector and the earnings progression and how it's all looking? Yeah, I mean, obviously when the pandemic hits, uh, depending which part of healthcare you were looking at, um, depending how it was impacted, but obviously healthcare had the solution to try and get us out of the yeah, pandemic. Sure. Um, so obviously when, when we got the COVID vaccine, we, we definitely saw some of the, the COVID winners coming through in that sense, whether it was companies, you know, with the, the vaccine or, or um, you know, helping with ventilators and stuff. Mm. And then ones who sort of were coming out of the pandemic, you know, there's a lot of COVID headwinds. Um, you know, 2023, we saw a lot of that where... Um, growth was slowing for some of those pandemic winners. So as we're coming into 2024, hopefully those COVID headwinds have, have now subsided and mm. we'll start to see, you know, the, the core of these companies sort of starting to grow again and we'll see sort of headline numbers sort of generating growth again. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's been a bit of an up and down. But, it's a um, and and yeah. it's interesting, I mean, you say that, I mean, the, the pandemic is still affecting companies and mm. sectors, I mean, yes. to varying degrees, but it's still there in the numbers because we've still got, Comparators from a year ago, and you know, when we were still in the teeth of it, really, weren't we? A multi year hangover. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Mm-hmm. And it's also that, you know, obviously, we had the pandemic vaccine sales, but it's now, you know, in a commercial setting. So it's not really the investment case of these companies, what the COVID vaccine generates in revenues, but, you know, there'll still be that offering there from the companies that, mm. that benefit from it. And actually, you know, what was quite interesting was the sort of the COVID vaccine winners with, with the technology, the mRNA technology. That platform has been proven now, and actually, what will we see from that platform could be okay. quite exciting. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, companies are still very much working on that technology platform. Mm-hmm. So, there'll be some more to come from that. Yeah, good. And Ben, what's happening? What's been happening in tech? I mean, yeah, look, COVID <laughs> was very much the. Uh, a, a, well, I think during COVID, there were only three sectors that grew, healthcare, utilities and technology. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously because everyone went out and bought new laptops for homeschooling and for work. And everyone started using more Netflix and sort of remote digital services and companies pushed harder on that digital transformation piece as well. And so it was a you know hugely um, positive time for, for tech in 2021. Uh, into 2022, some of those comps started to get harder mm. uh, people spent more money on other things other than uh, like because they could um and also you know there was a little bit of a sort of recessionary signs as, around as well and people started to pull back a little bit that has very much um trans- changed again back in 2022 um so in 2023 such that things have um stabilized an awful lot more so we we really look at it spending and it spending came down from its sort of peak in covid of almost five percent and it's now at around 2.8 something like mm. three and three will be uh, 2024 will be about three percent something like that so that's pretty that's pretty stable um the the that button that push on digital transformation continues to be quite strong mm. that often means a move to the cloud uh, and of course one of the preconditions uh, for AI is having a lot more of your stuff in the cloud as well. So, um, yeah, we feel pretty good about the uh, the setup in technology at the moment. You know, mainly in those areas, um, 
like digital transformation, cloud computing, uh, AI, cybersecurity. We feel pretty strong about those, and, and the, the, the quarterly numbers certainly reflect that. Good. Well, that's a very neat segue onto our first stock, which um, is a company that most mm. of you might have heard of. It's called Microsoft. <laughs> um, sure. Do you want to give us a quick, uh, we've got um, a graphic up on the screen, we've got the share price, we've got the earnings per share in red, which I yeah. think, you know, um, again, the share price matches the EPS progression. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to give us a rundown on uh, overview on Microsoft, Ben? Yeah, I mean, look, most people know what the business sort of does, but let me sort of try and segment all the different bits. Obviously, now it's the biggest company in the world at three trillion market cap, so, but it's still able to grow top line 17%. Uh, earnings well over 20% at the last quarter. What are those uh, intelligent cloud, all those those three segments, what do they actually mean? Intelligent cloud is the fastest growing business. The main asset in there is the Azure cloud business, um, but there's also some you know, AI assets. So there's also the, uh, the legacy server assets as well. So typically Azure is the, pe- the number that people watch, the growth rate there. And that business uh, is... <laughs> It's almost as big as AWS now. It's getting close to AWS, mm-hmm. which is still the biggest cloud provider. That's Amazon Web Services. That's correct. Yeah, and so that's growing about thirty percent. And it's and and, and Azure um, has been accelerating actually out of the, out of the last couple of quarters. And so that's pretty pretty strong. Some of that is is Microsoft is just the natural home for mid and large. Um, enterprises to go to. It's a very safe place for people to go to because they've got the full stack in terms of infrastructure and software and so, and, and so security and, and so on and so mm. forth. And so it's hard for a CTO to get sacked if you employ Microsoft stuff. Um, so that's the, the intelligent cloud business. Um, productivity and business, that's the, uh, the generally the software business. So think of that as Office, uh, so Office 365, mm-hmm. Dynamics. Uh, LinkedIn is also in there oh, as yeah. well. Remember, they own that asset. And, and that business is growing sort of, you know, mid-teens, something like that. Um, the PC business, more personal computing is called, um, is a bit of a hodgepodge. Classically, that's been the Windows business, yep. which is linked to PC units. Now, PC units, as I just sort of talked about, had an incredibly strong COVID and then a terrible uh, 2022, um, and now has started to to recover. Quite interestingly, we still expect PC units to be, to grow at sort of GDP, sort of 3%, something like that. But there's some uh, we're now f- lapping the COVID period four years, which yeah, is typically the life of a laptop. Yeah, so I'm just look, looking at my laptop here. So what what is the the cycle replacement? Four point two years 4. is the average, years. right? Yeah. Um, but they it varies a bit like a bit like phones as well. Um, but you've also got Windows 11 coming in, and so they're going to you know stop supporting Windows 10 reasonably soon. So that drives an upgrade cycle, and then the next stage of AI. Um, is something called edge AI, which is rather than doing AI in the cloud and you accessing it through the cloud, you do much more of the processing on your laptop or on your phone. Uh, and so there's potentially, and it's probably not a 2024, it's probably a 2025 story, um, there's more processing and a, a, that may require an upgrade to your, to your laptops as well. So so the PC business, as I say, is, is the, the relative drag. In terms of the, you know geography, it's pretty pretty global. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's a it's a, a bellwether, I guess, is the right way to think about it. Yeah. And have we yeah. seen the impact of AI on cloud growth yet, or is that just starting? yeah? Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the number. It was at least three points, if not more, um, of of as Azure growth. In fact, I think it was more like five actually of the thirty percent. So yeah, they, they do quantify it. Yeah. And are they giving guidance on where they think that can get to? 
Um, they don't give explicit guidance on that, no, but it's definitely supportive. And remember that Microsoft is getting the benefit of OpenAI because mm. all of the OpenAI, which is ChatGPT, um, that compute is being done on Azure, right? And that's one of the benefits of them having a, a $10 billion stake in, mm. in OpenAI. And we won't go into the, the intricacies of the, uh, the, the governance there, but uh, yeah, that, that gives them certainly a, a good step up. But, you know, also... Um, lots of companies are exploring um, AI uh, as well, particularly with their Copilot product, which they mm. released on November the 1st last year. Um, that's integrating AI into the office suite. Um, and so that's a, a slow burn for the growth of, mm. of the Azure business, but also the software business as well. Basically, if you can add, this is classic software playbook, if you can add value into your software, you can price it. And that gives them a good pricing runway for the future. Yeah. Um, do you want to touch on the results and, and what, what the sort of growth rates are? And what <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, top line was 17%. Um, profits were up more than 20%. Uh, EPS was up 33%. They're guiding for around 12 15% next quarter as well, which for this size of business is pretty pretty good. Um, that You know, they should be a double-digit grower for this year, if not more, mm -hmm. I, I would say. Uh, and that's, that's pretty impressive. <clears throat> um, and then more, more thematically, we've got a couple of charts here that yeah, let's, pulled out in terms of you know, in, uh, in all the right places. Difficult to exactly right. Difficult so, to read the writing, but yeah, so look, uh, some uh, of the themes. Yeah, exactly. So you know, they are a one-stop shop if you want to do these. Are this on the left side? This is the um, priorities for chief technology officers within corporates. Mm -hmm. I watch this very carefully. So not just the level of spend, but also where they're spending. And so top is AI and machine learning. You can do that at Microsoft. Uh, analytics, you can do that at Microsoft. So, uh, security, they're the biggest actually security company in the, in, in the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually a small, it's probably less than 10% of their business overall, but their sheer size means that they are they are the, actually the biggest. Mm -hmm. Digital transformation we've talked about, cloud computing we've talked about, um, ERP applications. Depends how you define enterprise resource planning, but they certainly have dynamics and, and CRM. But so, yeah, look, they are the one-stop shop, if you will, for, for chief technology officers. And then on the right side, um, you know, where are you spending more of your budget as a CTO? With Microsoft in Azure, in Azure uh, and obviously Amazon—that's the AWS business, mm. not not the e-commerce business. E business. <laughs> and then you, you know, again, those are the winners, and which and we like all of those businesses actually. Uh, and then on the bottom is the, the losers. We don't like any of those businesses, no. right? Mm. And it, there's my job in a in a nutshell, if mm. you will. Great. Well, that's uh, very comprehensive. Just to touch on on valuation, Ben. We got a, a sort of yeah. chart here. I mean, obviously the stock's done pretty well, but it's back to. You know, it's back to kind of um, in sort of evaluation terms. It's kind of back to where it was in 2020, 2021. Sort sure. Of 34 times, is it roughly? Next yeah, I, I look at one year, one year beyond that, sorry, which is about yeah. 30. Yeah. Uh, and we, we remain pretty com content with that. If you look at on a price earnings to growth, yeah. um, typically we think at around 1.5 is about right. So 30 times and about a 20% earnings growth. We, we're comfortable with that. You ideally can get tech companies on a peg of one, right? That would be wonderful. But the resiliency and the repeatability of their business, you know, it's, it's very high mm. subscription. Um, the areas that they're in, I think that justifies mm. 1.5. You know, Intuit, similarly, which we're very another high quality software company we like. Favourite um, upon Intuit. 
area um, <laughs> would trade on that kind of multiple as well. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's interesting just for the sort of the, the audience and the machine, I'm sure it's the same in your sector. You know, if a company is estimated to grow at a higher rate, you're probably going to pay a higher valuation multiple for it. So it's, you know, often in terms of sort of fund management analysis and, and, and research, it's very much a case of how much growth are we likely to see? Is it likely to be more or less than what everybody else thinks? And how much mm. are you paying for that growth? And, and you know, Microsoft certainly has been a stock that's been on a kind of premium rating for a long time for very good reason because it yeah. does keep churning out the growth because of all the reasons we talked about. And just for the listeners that haven't got the slides, what's the second and third pain? Uh, second and third pain, pain, free cash flow yield um, and uh, dividend yield. I mean, uh, American companies don't pay dividends that much. So. <laughs> I would note that the free cash <laughs> will come down because they're expending spending quite highly on capex mm-hmm. uh, and that's to, okay. to build new data centers as well but actually we think that's good capex as it were because we yeah. think they can yeah. create good returns on that and, and that in turn um, is very good for the component suppliers that you know like nvidia amd micron so on that um, put the components into the data and centers. do they have specific areas around the world where the data centers mm, yeah so so they have a footprint and they try and be where their customers are um, there are some companies sorry countries that have um, specific uh, requirements about where the data can be okay. uh, stored data sovereignty I guess and uh, and so Microsoft tries to to, to to move to that and then you'll have seen that Google's actually just building a data center in the UK uh, I think it's about six billion investment um, and that's again to try and you know, broaden their geographic footprint but you'll often find that one of the great things about cloud computing is that your data is mirrored around the world mm. right so if a data center does fall over um, it's picked up another way it's one of the many benefits and, and the, the cloud is just growing so quickly is there an issue on the amount of land available for data centers is that becoming um it's not <laughs> land it's more it's more <laughs> electricity and power because if you build a data center it's it's actually quoted in in megawatts, mm. so uh, finding good power in good locations is um, is difficult. Um, so these guys do a, a combination of organic growing, building their own, and also buying in from companies like Equinix, which which we also yeah. like as yeah. well. Yeah, interesting. Good stuff. Um, Sheena, moving on to AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca is the second biggest stock in the UK, I think, behind Shell, probably. Obviously, um, been in the news during the COVID pandemic for um, for the vaccine, etc. Uh, we've got a graphic up here with the, the price chart in blue and the earnings progression in red. And, and mm-hmm. you can see quite clearly, actually, in the EPS chart, that, that bump in 2022, uh, which I guess would have been kind of COVID-related mm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got the split of the business on the left. So do you want to sort of talk us through um, who they are, what they do, and <laughs> sure. why we let them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like Brian, <laughs> <laughs> where do you come from? Yeah. Uh, well, AstraZeneca, yeah. Um, obviously a big global pharmaceutical company. Um, has a pretty diversified offering. So the portfolio of drugs, sort of in oncology, cardiovascular, uh, respiratory, respiratory and rare disease. Um, the oncology franchise really is the largest product division, mm-hmm. probably around 40% of group sales. Um, obviously, they've got a significant number of drugs, but just to touch mm-hmm. on the three largest um, at the moment in the portfolio, a drug called Tegriso, mm-hmm. um, which is a pill approved in the form of lung cancer. Infinzi, which is also an oncology drug in another form of lung cancer, and Fixigra, uh, chronic kidney disease and heart failure. Um, other oncology drugs that you probably hear a lot about when they talk about results, Lamparza and Calquins, um, good growth drivers for the group. 
And then we've also got some of the younger portfolios, so drugs such as Inhertu, which AstraZeneca has in partnership with a Japanese company, Deishi Sanko. Um, you know, that one's generating a lot of good growth mm. in breast cancer, but also being tested in other forms of cancer too. Um, obviously, the newer drugs will help offset some of the older drugs. So one of the older drugs, for example, that used to be a massive drug for AstraZeneca is Symbicort, a respiratory drug for asthma and uh, COPD. That's now facing generic competition, so we're seeing sales come off of that. How many um, years? So, how many years does a does a pharma company have with this drug until it gets generic competition? Because so, it's a patent, right? Yeah, so a patent typically lasts twenty years. Twenty years. But that doesn't mean you get twenty years of protection on the market because right. mm. the patents are put on the drug while it's <laughs> in the clinic. So. Depending how long the drug takes in clinical development to then get approved will dictate how much okay. life it's got on the market really before potential generic competition. Um, so, so the sort of the, the, the treadmill, if you like, for an AstraZeneca is you find a new drug, you get a patent, you get it to market, you've got X number of years and then you get a load and you can, you can price it, whatever you want, because it's yours. Yes. And then it falls off. Is that usually sort of a treadmill type? Generally speaking, we could say if there's generics ready to go, as soon as a drug comes off patent, you could probably say it loses about 80% of sales. 80% of sales. If there's drugs ready to go. Thanks. Yeah. Because when it comes to the generic market, for a drug to be generic, it has to be the exact copy of what was the branded drug was. Mm-hmm. So the differentiating factor with generics is is essentially price. Um, yeah, so yeah, when, yeah. It, when it comes to that, you're just competing on price, really. Yeah on the whole. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so for pharmaceutical companies, that's why it's obviously very important to keep investing in R&D, to have a reasonable number of products in the pipeline, mm-hmm. to ensure that obviously you can get this future growth when some of these bigger drugs that have been blockbusters for mm-hmm. you uh, essentially lose patent protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, but uh, just, you know, whilst obviously, just touching on AstraZeneca, whilst, you know, it is... Uh, a UK listed company, less than 10% of its sales are actually in the UK and, and like mm. a lot of pharmaceutical companies, the majority of sales is made up in the US. Right. And that's like a lot of UK stocks <laughs> in general, isn't it? Most of the revenues from outside the UK yeah. just happen to be listed here. Mm. Um, so just on the sort of pipeline, and I mean, you sort of touched on I mean, different pharma companies who've got different you know, stages that might have more company, more, <coughs> more drugs that are later in life. Lots of other stocks Companies have presumably got more drugs earlier in their life. Yes. Do you sort of touch on the sort of what where AstraZeneca sits in that, and and you know what we think about where their pipeline is? Yeah, um, AstraZeneca actually has quite a lot in its pipeline. <laughs> you know, the group's very much focused on reinvesting in the business, and um, just in the earnings results there. Um, you know, it was talking about how it was investing more in R and D, but not only in that, it was also investing behind making sure the launch of newer drugs is going well to making sure you know that it's, it's getting out there and it can generate sales. Um, but yeah, it's got some ambitious, ambitious targets in place. Mm-hmm. So um, in 2023, there was about 27 phase three trials initiated across diff- 18 different sort of drugs. Um, there was 24 regulatory approvals in major markets. Um, and the group has an ambition to launch at least 15 new molecular Entity drugs uh, by 2030, and it's actually already achieved four, and it was talking about them in, in the results recently. So that's in areas, you know, respiratory and oncology. Um, but also new platform technologies, um, you know, cell therapy, gene therapy. Um, but actually, in oncology, we're hearing quite a lot about antibody drug conjugates. Now, what are they? Um, you could sort of class them as smart chemo, shall we say. Um, so it has the potential to deliver, you know, highly potent chemo to cancer cells, but hopefully without damaging the healthy tissue around sort of tumours. So that is an area that AstraZeneca is investing in, and it's also investing in that space 
you know, on, it, on its own, but also it's doing it in partnership with Daisy's ankle. So that drug in her too um, is an antibody drug conjugate. So uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll hear more about that. But it is, you know, very much trying to invest in the pipeline to make sure that it continues to grow going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's definitely lots going on. AstraZeneca will have a capital markets day in May. Um, so I'm sure we'll get some more of a deep dive within what's in the pipeline and, and what the company is also really excited about. And some of that might be earlier stage stuff, which, you know, when we look at companies, phase one is very early stage, maybe doesn't get a lot of attention by the market yeah. because most drugs typically fail in phase two. So until it's really in phase three, maybe that's probably when people get more excited about what the potential could be. Start pricing Um, it into future earnings. Yeah, because this is kind of an expectations probability game, I guess, right? If you've got 10 drugs at phase one, then you might have five at phase two and you might have one at phase three. So. You, know, you put you put ten percent probability of phase one. I don't know how, it works, but you know, sort of to be simple about it. Yeah. Um, I guess the more stuff you throw at the wall, the more sticks. Kind of a very simple way of uh, showing it. So, will you be going to the Capital Markets Day? Hopefully, yeah. Uh, they'll be hosting it at their big new site in, in Cambridge. So, cool. yeah. Hopefully, I'll yeah. get to go. Well, he's can go and carry a bag for you. <laughs> I'm fascinated by it. Uh, and in terms of sort of the the results and the earnings, I mean, how are the how are the sort of profits and the numbers shaping up? Yeah, so actually when they uh, just announced their most recent results, they were also celebrating their 25th anniversary. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, the, the Q4 results were probably a little soft compared to expectations. Mm-hmm. However, the grow, the company is generating very good growth. Um, so the total revenue of core products, 16% growth in the quarter, um, maybe about 15 16% for the full year, and then Colgy franchise is growing over 20%. So... You know, whilst you say it's a softer quarter, it's still yeah. a very good growth outlook. Yeah. Earnings did miss, but, you know, that is because R&D was higher than expected and costs behind recent launches were more as well. Okay. So I think sometimes when it comes to pharmaceutical companies, if you're investing more in what you think is attractive in the pipeline, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Uh, and then if we sort of touch on valuation, I mean, the, the stock, the share price hasn't done a great deal in the last year or two. All I'm saying that um, the, the share price chart that we've sh- shown uh we're just going to show here briefly um it's actually popped up since this chart was done last week we've had some <laughs> mm. uh, good news on to Greece though this morning yeah so um the shares came off a bit on on res- the results but also in 2023 the com- there's a lot of focus on a drug uh readout um we'll call it dato and lung cancer it met its primary endpoint but i think expectations were so high for it um that actually when we heard the data, it maybe took some of the shine off of it. Mm. Um, but more recently, you know, we've heard um, that it's now been filed with the US regulators. They've accepted it and there's a potential approval with that drug now by the okay. end of the year. So that's helped the sentiment and increased the share yeah, price a bit since then. And down. also, um, as you said, some good data with Tegreso mm. in um, in <coughs> lung cancer, mm. uh, some late late, st- late stage uh, lung cancer. So yeah, um, it's back to one hundred and five pounds or so. Yeah, yeah so, so. generating uh, valuation. Um, actually, given the growth outlook of AstraZeneca, the valuation is actually pretty, pretty attractive. It's mm. um, you know, as you say, it's it has sort of come away and not done much over the last year, but mm. the growth is is still That's very attractive. Yeah. So, um, on a twenty, say looking at twenty twenty four PE, it's sort of what. 16 times mm-hmm. pharma's usually in the one year forward 10 to 20 times mm-hmm. and as you say usually, u- usually <laughs> yes um, but as you say you usually pay a bit more for for better growth where actually AstraZeneca's offering double digit growth and 
A very attractive valuation. Sixteen times. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Astra's hurt? This is a slightly philosophical question. Does it get hurt by being listed in the UK versus the US? Do you think? And is it one of these stocks as a candidate for swimming across the pond? <laughs> um, well, it does, uh, I suppose it's got the dual listing. Um, I suppose at the moment, so Pascal, the CEO, he's been there for years. He was CEO when he um, sort of pushed back on the Pfizer bid at £55 years oh, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there has been rumours that he's going to retire at some point, and you do see the share price come away with that because he's mm-hmm. done a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he is ultimately going to retire at some point, so when someone steps up, do you think they might reassess where it's listed? Possibly. Yeah, um, yeah. Wouldn't be for us to speculate on this programme, but uh, it's been a theme <laughs> for the last few years, isn't it? A number of stocks have relisted from the UK. And it's interesting chance for double-digit growth with a great pipeline does sound. Sounds okay. Sounds, sounds okay. like it might be a bit different if it was US-listed. But then, yeah. you, across, then US farmers had its own struggles as well. And it's not a massive valuations over there, is it? So yeah. it depends on the stock. But yeah. I know. And then we've got some big European companies as well that have yeah. done well. So, yeah. It's... Um, good. Thank you for that. Uh, interesting stuff. Ben, Netflix, another mm-hmm. company that some people might have heard of. Yes. Um, I've picked some easy ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you remember the DVDs that you used to get posted? Well, that's it. Well, look, <laughs> I love, I love this stat. It's amazing. So if you go on to do a company overview on the terminals that we use, it still actually splits the business segment out between streaming and DVD. Yeah. Does it? Uh, that's yeah. actually inaccurate because two quarters ago they, they shipped their final DVD. Oh, so that to you? And it was not to me, no. <laughs> I mean, this is a company that's been very disruptive. I mean, you know, this was the company that, didn't stand a chance against Blockbuster, right? And and now it didn't stand a chance against uh, Time Warner and Disney and all of these companies. Actually, I think former Time Warner CEO, a, f- a former one, described Netflix as about as threatening as the Albanian army, right? Which is you know famous last words, right? So uh, he's yeah. he's long gone, yeah. and Netflix is continues to go from strength to strength. So yeah, it's a streaming it's a streaming, streaming business. business. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you, know yeah, 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 quite. And if and let's face it, I mean this is one of the problems with what happened in twenty twenty one twenty two is if you didn't have Netflix during the pandemic, you were probably unlikely to to, to get, get it, it right, yeah. and that was what caused. <laughs> Uh, that and tough comps is what caused the slowing in the growth rate and the stock to come down. Mm. Yeah, and we can see that in the price chart. And obviously, the, the, the blue line at the top here is the, the share price. The, the pandemic's pretty clear. Uh, and you can see it in the earnings in the red as well, can't you? There's earnings spike up. And then, of course, mm. um, subscriber growth goes to zero post pandemic because if you were going to get Netflix, you probably already got mm. it. Mm. Um, and then the market kind of threw its toys out the pram, the stock went down. Quite precipitously, didn't it? In yeah, down eighty percent. Yeah, yeah, and then it's back, yeah. back, sort of towards those all-time highs. It was, it was the loser, and and now it's very much the winner, and it's done that by basically being a pure play. It doesn't have any legacy media. Mm. By also re-examining, you know, where it can generate and how it can generate revenue. So obviously, it's a very simple model, right? It's number of users times the price that you can charge them and um, you obviously need number of users to improve um, so that has been helped by the fact that they've been c- cracking down on password mm-hmm. sharing so yeah. they I think when they announced this they had 240 million subscribers and they said there was another 100 million that they expected to to get from password sharing um, and then you know the other piece is what can they do in terms of pricing right mm-hmm. and and um, so that falls into two camps.
once, actually. The first one, and probably most importantly, this, this left-hand chart just shows you a little bit about, um, actually, you know, the right-hand chart, let's look at this first. Um, it, it, you can basically price if you have good engagement, right? If people watch your service, it's a very simple piece of um, economics or price elasticity, you can yeah. charge them more and you can see a very good correlation between all the different services available there um, and how many minutes people watch it and how many people and how much you can charge for it. Um, and that will continue and, and they continue to drive um, the, the content. I think people will generally agree that the library and the quality of production on, on Netflix is it's pretty industry pretty, leading, yeah. yeah. Um, and and, and, the, and so we, I think we talked about this last time we were on actually in terms of you know recession and what happens in a recession and mm. you, know, you used to cover Sky mm. back in the day, didn't you? That's it. I mean, TV is a very cheap piece of entertainment, yeah. right? Them and video games are probably the cheapest entertainment you can you can get, right? And so people in a recession tend to draw back. And I think the market also went through a uh, a bit of a worry on that. As you say, I'm very lucky. I covered used to cover Sky TV, um, which. Obviously, uh, got bought by Comcast, um, but they uh, they were very defensive through recessions. Mm. People people very rarely cut their cut their cord, as it were. Um, so that yeah, you get this virtuous circle where you get content which drives engagement. The engagement drives price, and then you reinvest that price back into more content. And and it's a scale game. Like the winner wins, yeah. uh, and that's what you can see on the left chart, which is that you know in terms of minutes of um, spent on the service. I think this tells you what most people know, which is that Netflix is the most watched service mm. by by quite a degree. Hulu, for those who don't know, is a, is a US service. And it's a combination of Disney assets, Fox assets, and um, uh, and some Comcast assets mm. as well. Um, it, but, uh, yeah, you can see see there um, them being much bigger than um, uh, HBO Max, Amazon Prime Video, uh, Peacock, which is NBC. Disney Plus, obviously. You know, Disney's interesting, isn't it? Because if you've got children or you're a Star Wars fan, you've yeah. definitely got Disney Plus. If you're not, <coughs> you probably don't. Yeah. Right? And then there's. Well, we've got Coco Melon on Netflix. and uh, There you are. And we've got Bluey on Disney. So. Blue, um, Bob Iger was saying that Bluey was the most watched show on Disney Plus. Have you watched that? I love it. I think it's, it's absolutely hilarious. awesome. It's absolutely I, yeah, I, I'm very happy. It's, yeah. there, there's some absolute rot on children's <laughs> television, but Bluey is one of the one of the right. best, better ones. It's very philosophical. Mm. I like the dad in it. As opposed, to, as, a, as opposed to Peppa Pig, where the dad is an absolute moron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. Of those, so of those 100 million extra users they were looking for for yeah. password sharing, have they said how, how 23. Many? So oh, still, no, sorry. No, apologies. No, that's the, that's the advertising number. No, they haven't. Um, they are gradually working okay. through it. Um, sorry, 23 million is the number of users that, that have, have subscribed to the other piece, which I haven't talked okay. about, which is the advertising uh, piece. So oh, okay. if you don't want if you can't afford Netflix mm. or you want a cheaper price and you're trying to cut back this is one of the things that's great about you know sort of recession proofing you're trying to cut down household spending you can move to the ad supported tier okay. uh, and save some money the great thing for Netflix though is they offer that at say a three dollar discount mm. but they make five dollars maybe six dollars from the advertising that they right. provide right and so this so is, is again another no I mean so that yeah so they so if you will, the advertising service is ARPA accretive. And so that's very interesting because then you're, 
yeah, Netflix is faced with mm. two choices. They can uh, try and drive people to the ad-supported tier and they make more money, or they can drive mm. the price of the mm. traditional tier up, right? So it's yeah. sort of a win-win if you think about the, the sort of you know, uh, yeah. game theory of it. And what did the results sort of tell you about the thesis and, and yeah, any role sort of change in how you thought about it? I mean, it subscribers continue to be very, very... <laughs> Uh, strong, actually, mm -hmm. driven both by um, you know, new geographies, so you know, more developed markets have, have sort of flattened out, but yeah. but there's still good growth in APAC and LATAM. Uh, and then there's that you know the the password sharing piece, which they're being quite deliberate about. Actually, everyone mm -hmm. thinks it's oh, it's going to sort of come in as a big clampdown, but actually. Netflix is a data company. They know your usage, and so they know your price elasticity, and so they know mm. what you can take and what you can't. People who are like family plans and things like that, they get pushed harder on the price because let's face it, they they can't they can't yeah. move, they can't hop off. Mm. Um, so yeah, so results were very good. Uh, uh, growth has come back from uh, sorry went down um, during our post pandemic to sort of two three percent something like that. In fact, subscriber growth was even negative. Uh, now revenues have, have reaccelerated to ten percent plus. And and the great thing about this business my perspective is that it is a very high fixed cost business which is if you so if you can grow yeah. top line mm. the leverage in the business is huge so they're getting 200 to 300 basis points of margin improvement so margins are just north of 20 percent now and, and there's a good path if you look this is one of my these uh, you know cornerstones of my thesis when we initiated on it was that if you look at businesses tv businesses that aren't even global they're just you know, mm. national um, that have that kind of operational leverage, you can get margins in the sort of 30, 40% level. So so that's what I think the, the biggest thing that people don't realize about Netflix is there's a huge profit profitability uh, mm -hmm. leverage. You've got the free cash uh, number up there, I free think. Free cash flow yield yeah. is uh, 3%, 2.5%. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it used to be unprofitable yeah. and it's gone from unprofitable to very profitable, modestly profitable, and I think it can be very profitable. In a in a space of three four years, mm. so um, yeah, it's very. And have they ever seen they're adding some sport and some games? Sport is something they flirt with. So so right. Netflix is. So I've uh, a few reports on they think sport is often a downfall of a subscriber type. Their line is: we are not anti-sports; we're just pro-profit. If you look at the right, game okay. theory and the economics of owning a mm. sporting league or the the rights to a sporting league, the sporting league is normally the thing that. The, the place that wins, right? And the and the company that's broadcasting mm. it loses. And within, you know, the, within the sports league, it's the players who win as well, isn't it? Without Followed doubt. by the Cheshire, mm. Bentley car salesman. I think <coughs> I think my old Sky notes used to read something like that. Another win for Cheshire yeah. car sales. Right? <laughs> Good. Um, interesting stuff. Um, good business, Netflix, which we're all pretty familiar with, which brings us on to the final stock of the day, um, which we touched on a little bit earlier, <laughs> Novo Nordisk. Now, not many might have heard of Novo, so do you want to give us a sort of overview on Novo, Sheena? I think more might have heard in the last year, but uh, yeah, yeah, so um, Novo Nordisk, um, best known really for its diabetes franchise, uh, and now its uh, obesity drug portfolio. Um, it does also make some drugs for like haemophilia and growth disorders. However, it's the diabetes and obesity franchise really that mm -hmm. makes up the majority of the business and really are the key focus um, areas of the investment case. Um, within the diabetes franchise, 
you do have insulin products there. Um, probably makes up about twenty percent of group sales. Are they injectables or they? Yeah. yeah. But um, well, it's a mixture. But right? yes. yeah. Um, but really, the growth is being driven by these GLP one drugs, which are glucagon-like peptide one agonists. So. A GLP-1 is essentially a naturally occurring hormone produced by the small intestine, and it really, its role really is to increase insulin secretion in the pancreas. So these drugs essentially try and replicate what is a natural process. Mm-hmm. Um, so within the diabetes franchise, in terms of GLP-1 drugs, Novo Nordisk has uh, Victoza, Azempic, and Rebelsis. How do they all differ? Uh, Victoza is a daily injectable, a slightly older product. Zempic is a weekly injectable and Rebelsis is a daily tablet. Um, but, you know, diabetes, well, type 2 diabetes, you know, quite often is linked with obesity. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. Novo Nordis, whilst it has actually had an obesity drug in its portfolio for a long time called Saxenda, really it's all about Wegovy now, this new, well, relatively new um, drug that from Novo Nordis, again, a GLP-1, um, but Wegovy is for obesity. Um, and, you know, that's been in the news quite a lot. So over the course of 2023, we heard a lot, whether it was celebrities taking Zempic yeah. or Wigovi to try and get red carpet ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they're very much in focus. And, you know, people are probably trying to take a Zempic, even if they've not got type 2 diabetes, um, to try and get the, the weight loss aspect of okay. it. Um, because Wigovi... Um, you know, has demand has far exceeded supply, um, so it has been slightly supply constraint. Is um, it available in the UK at all? So, Govi is now available in eight countries. Uh, yeah. in, yes, including the UK, right, uh, US, and, and, and Germany. Um, so they're slowly sort of launching it in new countries, but because it has been supply constraint, they've had to be slightly mm. careful of how quickly they do mm. that. And what's the cost of the prescription? Well, it, it varies. So, say for example, you can get an out of pocket um it, you could pay for it yourself and it could be two four hundred two to four hundred pounds it depends where you are yeah. per month, per <laughs> um, month. Okay. Right. so yeah you and can how long do people take it for well the thing about say Wagovi is you should take it so the moment people are probably taking it for about a year they are monitoring it some okay. people say that they want to take it forever <laughs> however what we're seeing at the moment, especially with the likes of Agovi and Eli Lilly is another company that's launched um, their obesity drug called mm. Setbound. What we're seeing with them is actually the quality of the weight loss is not just fat, it's muscle, taking muscle, muscle as well. well. Yeah. And especially as you get older, actually retaining muscle mass is actually quite important. Mm. Um, but what we're also seeing is that when people, they take the drug, they lose weight, they feel great, unless they've be, suffered from some of the side effects. Mm. <laughs> But then when they come off it, they'll then put some of the weight back oh, on. Okay. So they might you might find that people come on and off of it and they sort of go like that a bit with their weight. Um, however, uh, other companies are working on drugs within mm-hmm. the obesity space, including Novo Nordisk. Um, and they're looking at essentially trying to have better quality of right. weight loss. Yep. Um, and we should get... Uh, so Cagrosema is is a, a drug that Novo's working on. We'll mm-hmm. get some phase three data from that this year. Um, and that has the potential to offer better qualities than mm. the Govi, for example. Some quite big ethical questions here, aren't there, about mm. you know obesity, many might think, is kind of self-induced and shows a lack of willpower, etc., and others will blame kind of big food for obesity, mm. etc., mm-hmm. being endemic. Is it sort of, 
you know, is it that is the Wagovi wonder pill? Is that the sort of right way of solving the obesity problem in society? Or I don't know. Yeah, well, you're right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, no, I was going to say is um, obesity probably yeah, historically was viewed more as a lifestyle mm. um, issue rather mm. than a sort of medical issue. Yeah. Um, and I think you know obesity is linked with a lot of different um, chronic diseases, mm. and actually there's multiple clinical trials going on with Wagovi, um, whether that's in you know chronic kidney disease, cardiovascular disease. Um, sleep apnea um, so Novo's trying to show that actually by addressing obesity it can help some of these things and you know cardiovascular is like one of the number one causes of death um, so if you can help all of you know yeah, yeah, yeah. stem that then you can help essentially save, save a lot of money sure. through healthcare and, and healthcare systems um, so yeah it's, it's I suppose it's about educating and showing the other benefits of it as well but mm. um yeah, there, there's sort of when people are taking the drug when they don't actually need it just because they want to lose a bit of weight, mm. then that's completely different yeah. to actually the, the health benefits yeah. of it. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll continue to get a lot more data um, from Novo Nordisk within obesity. But mm. you know, other companies are, I suppose, seeing the interest in this space and are trying mm. to get in it in themselves. For example, AstraZeneca and Roche, for example, just towards the end of back end of last year, um, entered into agreements with other companies to start looking at um, right. assets within the obesity space much, quite early on in, yeah, in, in yeah, the clinical yeah. stage. Yeah. But, but um, you, you, know, you kind of expect that in any business, don't you? If, if, if there's a new kind of hot area that's got a lot of growth, then you would expect new entrants to come in and try and take some of that market. Yeah. Right? It's kind of come back to e-commerce one-on-one. Yeah. Um, you have given us a couple of charts here. You might just, just throw them up for to show um, global prevalence of obesity. Yeah, I mean, that's not a pretty chart, is it? Um, <laughs> it's going up yeah. to the right. Um, and obesity sales here on the right. So, again, you know, some pretty big growth there. Yeah. Um, um, but the stock's done well. So if you come back to the price chart uh, here, the blue line, it's, what, up 100%, doubled in a year? It's done so, very well. I mean, just generally, if we talk about, if we say health, what was the healthcare story of 2023? Mm-hmm. The obesity story. Yeah, yeah. And that was essentially yeah. it. Um, it was interesting as well, if you were to look at different areas, say August, September time, and what actually the obesity data and the sales were doing to different subsectors. You know, some oh, consumer yeah. stocks were getting <clears throat> hit because nobody would want to eat a burger, burger mm, anymore. Yeah, exactly. And then also that had the knock-on effect to sort of orthopedic stocks because it's like, well, less pressure on the joints, you're less likely to need mm. a knee replacement. But then there's another side to that argument too because actually some people are ineligible for surgery because of their BMI right. where if you're able to bring that bring down, they in. then become <laughs> eligible. <laughs> so <laughs> there's more to it than just being like all these stocks are completely out of here. Yeah. But um, a lot of that, the different subsectors have recovered a bit. But yeah, the, the healthcare story of 2023 was um, obesity and, and Nova Nordisk obviously benefited from mm. that. Um, but yeah, so... And the drug works in it, it just takes away your appetite. Your requirement for those bad, not bad foods, but those sh- kind of that sugary. Yeah, um, it gives you the sense of feeling type. full. Right. Um, so yeah, so it satisfies you your your hunger um, mm. and makes you feel full. So then you're less likely to to snack. It's not mm. that you can go out and eat as much as you want and then take the drug and you're fine. Mm. No, no, no. It, it, it makes you feel uh, mm. fuller, so you're less likely to mm-hmm. to snack. Um, but yeah, the valuation obviously when we we talk about pharma companies. Being yeah. as you, as we said, in the typical ten to twenty times PE range, mm. Novo obviously is a significant premium to that. But 
it does offer greater offer growth. growth. Um, uh-huh. So what's the well. trading at now? Uh, probably just over 30 times. Is that okay? Yeah. Of course, it's up there with Ben still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 some of them. So, yeah, no, it is a, it is a significant um, significant yeah. premium. Um, but I think and, there's and just so much growth, excitement. And for what growth rate is that? Yeah, uh, well, double digit. So I think Novo's guiding to sort of 18 to 26% top line growth next year and, you know, earning something similar. Okay. So, yeah, it is, there is a lot of growth opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. Interesting to see how this plays out, both from, both from Novo's perspective. Because obviously, the you know the stock price you could argue is pretty hyped, so there's a lot of good news in the share price. But also from a societal perspective, you know how does society kind of deal with this and, and, and what happens in time? So that'll be an interesting one to watch um, for sure. But I think uh, I think with that, that's our full stocks done. Any uh, you see any burning questions from you? I mean, obviously you're the thinnest man in QC, so there's absolutely no way you're going towards this. I was going to apply for it. Yeah, size twenty eight inch waist. <laughs> Um, so I think with that we'll we'll no, wrap shall we? Yeah, I think I think day. it's great for people to understand or to, to see an insight into the conversations we have yeah. with uh-huh. our analysts and, and you know the experts in their fields. It's brilliant for us. Yeah. It's good, make good, really good resource, you know, in terms yeah. of investment managers and doing the data. That was only five, ten minutes of stock. We can we can talk for a lot longer. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> 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 um, no, with brilliant. that Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to Sheena and Ben and to yeah, James absolutely. as always. Yeah. And uh, any questions, let us know. James.Hughes at quarterchievit.com or Jonathan.Raymond at quarterchievit.com. And we hope to see you next time. Thanks very much. Thank you.